As I mentioned, we're going to finish Daniel chapter 10 today. The good Lord willing. No, he is willing. He, I'm, I'm assured of that, that he is willing indeed. The um, final vision that God gave Daniel is in the last three chapters of the book of Daniel, chapters 10 through 12. Chapter 10, as I made mention of last week, is the introductory uh, portion to this final vision, this final piece of revelation that God gives to Daniel. Chapter 11 is where we see that prophecy, and then chapter 12 is its conclusion of, of that and of the book of Daniel. And what we saw last week um, in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, in the first 12 verses of this chapter, we saw in verse 1 there that Daniel had received a, a vision of great human conflict. And then in verses 2 and 3, we see that Daniel set his heart to understanding uh, this vision, and he did that by humbling himself before God, which we see in the text led Daniel to a time of prayer and fasting. And so again, when we keep in the context here that Daniel's an older man, probably 85 years plus, we see that Daniel's less concerned about himself, and he's really concerned with the glory and the reputation of his God. In verses 4 through 6, Daniel then went on to see, and he describes there in those verses, um, one that's believed to be a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ himself. When we compare that to Revelation uh, chapter 1 and what John saw there, we saw the exact likeness of the description from Revelation 1 to this passage here in Daniel 10, verses 4 through 6. And then in verses 7 through 8, Daniel, having seen this vision, it just basically we see that he just faints straight away and he's face down to the ground. Like John said, he's like a dead man, having seen the Lord of, of hosts. And then from verse 10, Daniel is uh, revived from his fainting. He's, um, he has a hand that's placed upon him. An angelic messenger shows up, verse 11. And tells Daniel to stand up, that he has um, more by way of revelation to give to him. And um, he tells Daniel that from the time he started his prayer and his fasting, that, um, that he had been sent. And what we're going to see today, when we get, uh, we're going to touch base again in verse 12 and following, what we're going to see today is that there is, there is an unseen... Uh, spiritual realm that the human eye is not perceptive to, but that the Word of God gives us glimpses into, and thereby we are able to see into that realm, and especially with eyes of faith, to know that these things are true. And so in verse 12, notice verse 12, pick up there with me again this morning, Daniel chapter 10. Notice what Daniel says here, it says, what he says, this angelic creature says to Daniel. It says, then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. Daniel was expecting as we mentioned last week, a little of the context from the book of Ezra, Daniel was expecting, I'm sure, more progress uh, two years following the, the, the captives' release from Babylon, from their captivity there under King Cyrus. 
And two years later, in the third year of Cyrus, it seems that that, um, that building project had been brought to a halt. And Daniel's expectations and then the reality of what was happening, hooves on the ground, clearly seemed to be in conflict with each other. And as a result, now for three weeks, Daniel has been mourning and fasting and praying. Daniel's, in essence, been realigning his expectations with God's allowances, which is a very important um, principle that I think all of us as earthlings need to understand and need to know how to rightly do, that of realigning our expectations with what God actually allows. And we notice here in verse 12 uh, what Daniel did specifically in order to accomplish that. It says, the first thing that Daniel did was, is that he set his heart on understanding. So Daniel was in conflict with the reality of what was happening with regard to the prophecies that God had given him. And then the reality of what's happening, it didn't make sense. And so Daniel, it seems, has set his heart to understanding what the Lord must be up to in this pause in this time of things not working out exactly the way he thought that they should be working out and it says that Daniel humbled himself before his God. So Daniel rather than finding a place of frustration with the Lord, Lord it seemed like this is what you said you were going to do and I was anticipating that this was what was going to happen but now I'm realizing instead that this is what's happening God And so Daniel, instead of finding a frustration with that and then turning away and moving away and creating more distance from God, perhaps wrongly perceiving that God doesn't really care for him, if God truly loved me the way I perceive that he should love me, he would not have allowed this to happen. Daniel doesn't go there, and it'd be my encouragement for each of us to learn from Daniel as to how we can and should respond when things in life don't go perhaps the way we thought that they should have gone. And, and that is to set your heart on understanding. It, it led Daniel to a time of intensive prayer and fasting. So rather than moving away from God, Daniel went specifically toward God. Daniel moved into a posture of greater focus on the Lord rather than moving away. And he set his heart to understanding. He set his heart probably to, to great prayer and kept his nose in the book. I can envision and imagine that he probably said, but Lord, I read in your prophet Jeremiah where it said 70 years and, and it happened just like you said it was going to happen. But now three years later, things just don't seem to be playing out the way I thought they were going to play out, Lord. What's going on? So Daniel moves towards the Lord to have a heart of understanding and he does that specifically by humbling himself before his God. It's the idea of having a humble posture before the Lord, of saying, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. I think that's one of the, it's easier thing to say than to actually do. But we learn here from Daniel that this is the posturing that he has with regard to what's happening. And so God we're going to see is, is response to that. And as a result of it, God is going to give Daniel more revelation and more insight into what needs to take place before the establishment of all the great revelation that God had previously shown him.
And the thing that this requires, I think, in the life of the believer is what the Lord taught his disciples in Luke 18, the idea of a perseverance in prayer. You have the context there in Luke 18 of the, the widow and the unjust judge. And she went before the judge day after day seeking justice. And he seemed steadfast in not providing said justice. But she just repeatedly came back day after day after day. And, and the Lord commended the perseverance of this person in this parable that he was telling and told his disciples that this is the kind of perseverance they need to have. And it made me think about that. It's one thing to say we need to persevere in our prayer life. It's another thing to say that we need to have an optimistic perseverance in our prayer lives. Because that's what the very purpose of revelation that God gives us should do. It should create an optimism within our hearts to realize we know who holds our future. We know who has our days numbered in the heavens. So an optimistic perseverance with regard to truth is a place that we ought to find ourselves. And Daniel, it seems, is one that models this very well for us. Now notice what he says as he continues here in verse 13. He says to Daniel, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Now this is the portion where it starts getting into some of the spiritual realm and things that are unseen to the human eye. This prince of the kingdom of Persia is an angelic creature and it's a fallen angel as we know from other Old Testament passages when the, uh, the when Lucifer was cast out of heaven and a third of the angels with him as he made his uh, attempt to be like God and discovered that that was obviously a failed adventure um, he and these fallen other fallen angels were cast from heaven and it seems that this prince of the kingdom of Persia makes reference to one of those fallen angels. Now, oftentimes we refer to them as demons, and it kind of has a really negative connotation because it just connotes just evil activity, which is in, in, uh, inherently what they're up to. But in reality, they are they are fallen angels. And it says of Lucifer, he's the father of lies, that he's been lying from the beginning. We see that all the way back in the book of Genesis as he's lying to Eve. He says, if you just eat from this fruit from the tree, you will be like God. The very thing he was trying to be like, God. And here he's telling Eve, you too can be like God if you just do this, which was in obviously disobedience to the Lord. And we know that as a result of that disobedience, uh, the curse of sin fell upon the human race and upon planet Earth as well. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, one of these fallen angels, one of these demons, was withstanding me, this angel that has come to, to bring hope to Daniel, more light and revelation to Daniel, says he was withstanding me for 21 days. Now, you perhaps you remember from earlier in the passage that it was for 21 days. It was for three weeks that Daniel had been in prayer and fasting. And, he's gonna, and we see, we're going to see that from the day that Daniel started his prayer and his fasting and seeking understanding and having a heart of humility before God, that there was response within the heavenly realms. And we see that that help that was coming to Daniel's aid was 
he was intercepted and had some sort of battle going on in the heavenly places. And he says at the end of verse 13 that Michael, behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. So this is a really a complex and deep verse to really try to understand, and I can't claim to know all the intricacies of this passage, nor could you. But clearly it seems that Michael, being one of the archangels of God, came and rendered aid to probably Gabriel, who had, in the previous chapter, had given revelation to Daniel. And he came to help him in some way, rendering aid over these demonic princes, these other fallen angels that seemed to have been uh, preventing his coming to Daniel. So it doesn't give us a whole lot of information, but such is the conundrum of these spiritual forces in the heavenly places, right? If you think about this, it's the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, when we get to Ephesians chapter 6, where he talks about these very same realities. He just talks about them a little bit differently than we see in the book of Daniel. Notice what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning there in verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He's talking to the believers at the church there in Ephesus. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So there's a call to stand firm against something. And the reality is, as most of us live our lives, most of us Christians probably live our lives in, on a daily basis with absolutely no regard to the reality that the devil has schemes against God's people. We, it's very rare, and perhaps never, that we give consideration that there are spiritual forces in the heavenly places, schemes of the devil, perhaps employed through the employment of these fallen angels to create havoc, distrust in the mind and the lives of God's children, distress. We don't know, but he clearly articulates this. He says in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against and notice, it's who, who's, where does our struggle lie? He says it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So again, there's not a whole lot of information given here other than the recognition that there are Rulers, powers, and world forces of darkness, of spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And when you bring this back up here, that somehow our true adversary, the devil, the, the most beautiful of the fallen angels, the deceiver, creates schemes that somehow are against the family of God. And, though, and thus Paul says that we need to stand firm against them. But we live our lives as though this doesn't even happen. Don't we? I mean, I think we honestly do. 99.9% of the time, if I'm doing counseling with somebody and finding out what's the issue, what's the struggle, what's the problem, if we delve into Ephesians 6, which we always will, because I'm always saying that um, 
your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your husband and or your wife is not truly your problem. The thoughts that you have right now with regard to your husband or your wife, as difficult as they may be, stem from another source that is trying to lead him and or her or your children or somewhere else with these flaming darts that get shot, thus the reason to put on this full armor of God so that we can stand firm against those. And so if we live our lives pretending like those things are non-existent, that it's not even a reality in our lives, how are we ever going to have the shield of faith up and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? How are we ever going to actually stand firm against something if we don't even believe that it's happening? So in Daniel's case, we have a somewhat of a glimpse into this reality that the Apostle Paul makes mention of here. And then when we get to verse 18 and 19, notice the connection and think about what Daniel was doing. This is Ephesians 6, 18 and 19. We're called to stand firm and then he tells us what it looks like to put on the armor of God. He says, with all prayer, what was Daniel doing? He's praying. And petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view, beyond the alert, with all perseverance, optimistic pers- perseverance, and petition for all the saints, because all the saints are in this same battle. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So Paul is saying that we need to be praying even for him so that as he's being an ambassador for Christ, the very thing that the schemes of the devil probably are trying to prevent Paul from doing and the very thing that the schemes of the devil, those flaming arrows and darts. Don't you wish we had more intel on this? This is one of those passages where I always thought this would be so great to have more intel on what that actually is. It just seems like there are these invisible gnats, that, these flaming arrows. But you've, you've, you've felt them, haven't you? You've recognized them in your life. And you know it's something that has to be dealt with. And in our culture, what we oftentimes try to do is we try to deal with those things with different prescriptions than what the Word of God says, we, how we should deal with those things. Our culture has created a world where God is non-existent. And so spiritual realities don't need to be met with spiritual strength, which is what prayer is. Spiritual realities are whatever our so-called difficulties are, our struggles are, or what's causing us to be depressed is. Those things find their root probably somewhere else other than in flaming arrows and the father of lies, who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy who's trying to divide marriages left and right. And why would he be so apropos on wanting to divide marriages? Well, in the same book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says that the marriage relationship mirrors something very beautiful between Christ and his bride, the church. And what was Satan trying to destroy all the way back at the beginning in Genesis 3? He was trying to divide a husband and wife. What God has brought together, let no man put asunder. He's been trying to destroy this beautiful image of Christ and his bride that came into fruition by progressive revelation in the fullness of time when Christ appeared in his first advent. Satan's been trying to have schemes against that, it seems, from the very beginning of time. And so 
the very thing that the forces of darkness are working to prevent, which is the propagation of the gospel through your life. And if, and if these schemes can make your life look really unattractive for the gospel's sake, he'll do whatever it takes to get you there. And so, another passage that the Apostle Paul gives the church with regard to these issues is found in 2 Corinthians 10.5. I'd encourage you to go back and look at the broader context on this one. But Paul says here that we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So we have to be those who stand firm. And Daniel is going to be encouraged to do that very thing as well. He's going to be told, as a matter of fact, to take courage in this process. Notice from verse 14 how this is communicated to Daniel. Now, before we get too deeply removed from that, let me just encourage you to, at some point today, give deeper consideration to the truths of these spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Because I think most of us probably live our lives without any recognition of that at all. We have a negative thought. Something doesn't work out in our life. And what do we end up doing? We blame God. We get upset with God. We move away from God as a result of it. Daniel's showing us the very opposite. When our expectations and reality aren't meeting, rather than being upset with God, allow that to cause you to push into God. Go to God in prayer. Deep prayer, prayer and fasting if that's what's needed, praying at all times, right here, pray at all times if necessary, to seek the face of God, to, under, to gain understanding of heart. This is a much better path forward for the child of God than pretending as if these things aren't a reality at all. Notice verse 14. He says, Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. One of the things that we know definitively from the book of Daniel is that revelation pertaining to the future is with a particular interest in the history of the Jewish people. And what Daniel finds out is that the vision that he's going to, that he has received and he's going to delineate on in chapter 11 pertains a, a great deal of suffering with regard to his people, to your people, the people of Israel in latter days, days yet to come. So it almost seems as if what is going to be told to Daniel is this, Daniel, you're expecting that that kingdom, that eternal kingdom of peace and hope and righteousness and goodness that we see at the end of chapter Daniel chapter 2 within Daniel chapter 7 there in Daniel chapter 9 you were anticipating that this was going to come about immediately following those 77s but you need to have an understanding that before that comes there's going to be a time of great tribulation and in particular it's going to impact your people very significantly notice verse 15 down through verse 17 and it says, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. It's a very difficult word to receive without question. 
And so one of the things that we know about Daniel is that he has a heart for people, his people in particular, right? The vision pertained to great human conflict and suffering. And he says, I'm going to give you a greater understanding of this with regard to what's going to happen to your people in later days. And he knew that it had to do with great human conflict and suffering. And so then Daniel became speechless. And this is one of the things that I've said many times through our study of the book of Daniel is that revelation that we glean in the book of Daniel should be that which leads us to have greater compassion for people. If the book of Daniel and the revelations that we've looked at are true and they do come to pass as they've been revealed to have come to, come to pass, then what sort of people ought we to be with regard to recognizing that people in our day and culture need the Lord? That if that kind of calamity is going to befall people when the wrath of God shows up in the future, someday in the future. We want to have hearts of compassion like Jesus had. As Paul said, pray for me that as I speak forth the good news of the gospel, I can make it known as I should. It should make us greater evangelists indeed. Verse 16, and behold... One who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O oh my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. The reality of what God shows Daniel and the, the, that great tribulation that's still yet in the future it literally has left Daniel breathless, speechless, in great anguish. It's my hope and it's my prayer that we, like Daniel, would be moved in such a way that our love for God and our love for people would move us to let our light shine in such a way that other people would say, well, what is it about you? You seem to have an optimistic perseverance in life when things just don't go your way or when tragedy strikes your house. You don't cave in like a house of cards. And it leads us to say, well, if, but for the grace of God, I would have collapsed like a house of cards when said calamity struck. We need to realize that people need the Lord and we have that light within us. Let your light shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. We're going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. And so God's going to strengthen Daniel. You tell Daniel to take courage that, yes, the future, the future is gloriously bright. Why is the future gloriously bright? Well, because Daniel already had a good understanding of chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 9. Daniel knows exactly how it's going to end. He just doesn't know when. 
So his future is optimistically bright. He knows there is a kingdom that's going to be handed over to the saints that will endure forever and ever and ever and ever. He moves forward in life with such gloriously encouraging news all the time. But he realizes, and he's going to realize, as, 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 as was shown in Daniel 7 and some in 10 and a lot in chapter 11, that before the, sh- the sun shines the brightest, there's going to be a little sadness and gloom. That's what we've been referring to about, remember the cosmic disturbances? My kids have been reminding me of cosmic disturbances now over the last couple of weeks. Cosmic disturbances, Dad. Yes, that's true. The day of the Lord is a reality and it's out there. So Daniel is going to be encouraged in light of the fact that, yeah, things are going to get really hard. Things are going to get really hardest in that valley before it gets brightest. Notice what he says in verse 18. He said, then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. So he was feeling pretty down in the dumps, completely breathless, speechless, in great anguish, and he had no strength. And so this angelic messenger, probably Gabriel, touches him again, and he is strengthened. And he said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. And I love this statement. This reminds me of the gospel when the angels appear. Do not be afraid. And this is, this is what the goodness of God's word is for us. It, it enables us to not be afraid, it, come what may. Cade just said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You think living is great? Your death is even better. Why? Because you don't really die. You go from life to life. You go from absent from this body to be present with the Lord. And how much greater is that going to be in reality? Yeah, those who are left behind awaiting their presence with the Lord are going to mourn for us probably for, you know, two or three days and then move on with their life. That was hyperbole in the opposite direction. It'd probably be like two or three years maybe, hopefully. But nonetheless, death is not the greatest enemy. Don't be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage. Be courageous. I think the Apostle Paul said, stand firm, something like that. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, may my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. The recognition of revelation that comes from God should be and is to be a source of strength, a source of taking courage. And the source of being able to be courageous and to stand firm. Because as, as assuredly as we can build our lives upon the rock and the waves and the wind come crashing in, when it passes us by, we're still left standing upon the rock. We know this to be true. Why? Because it is written. We have a divine revelation from God. The word of God is to be a source of comfort and hope and strength. Even in the darkest days, even in the darkest of nights, when everything seems to go wrong, you can always turn to the word of God and through the preaching of the gospel to yourself, give yourself hope when hope seems to be nowhere to be found. Because if our hope is indeed built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness, then What do we always have, church? Hope. Always. And so the Apostle Paul commands even our emotions. He says, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. 
in the context of difficult circumstances. Commanding our emotions to be rejoiceful. Why? Because we have truth. We have knowledge. We have knowledge. And in the light of that knowledge, in the light of the revelation of God's word, this angelic creature is saying to Daniel, this revelation that I'm giving you, it may not look good on the, on the surface, but take courage, be courageous. You know in the end there is a kingdom coming, an eternal kingdom that will endure forever and ever and ever and ever, and it will be handed over to the saints of God, and you will rule and reign with him forever and ever. See chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 9. And as soon as Daniel was reminded of these things, strength was found. He receives strength, not of a human kind, but of a divine kind that comes from the Lord himself. And church, that's the kind of strength that we need to be relying on in our lives as well. Amen. But when we live life as if these spiritual realms and places of darkness that are daily shooting arrows at us, trying to make our communication of the gospel through our lives, trying to make us impotent, makes it difficult to know how to fight to win. So take strength, take courage in the revelation that God has left you. This is what he's doing for Daniel. Kind of puts some feet to the Philippians 4 passage, doesn't it? This is a passage that probably most of us are very familiar with. To be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. So here we're kind of back to this concept of prayer. We're not to be anxious for anything. Nothing. Well, oftentimes we find ourselves anxious about like everything, it seems. It's like everything can make us anxious. And it seems that perhaps the reason why so many things make us anxious is because we're not praying about everything. We're still, we're still kind of trying to live our lives and orchestrate our lives in some form or fashion that's disconnected from the, the truth of Scripture that God has won in the end. And so we're trying to do our best to perhaps artificially manipulate circumstances that we don't like, trying to get them into a particular direction instead of doing what Kay just said. Just be still and know that he's God, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Just be still. Watch how they, Just notice and observe how it comes to play on the end and just say, Thy will be done. Therein is a sense of peace and the comfort and hope. So with, in everything, with prayer and supplication, and then the key word right here, with thanksgiving. Why is this key? Well, you know, you can go to God and you can complain all the time and you can kind of be frustrated. And we see in the Psalms, we see a lot of that frustration. How long, oh Lord, will you allow this to happen forever? But when you get towards the end of that psalm, what you see is you see a heart that's typically been turned in the direction of being more contrite and an understanding heart that's now just waiting and giving God his due course of allowing things to work out. And that's the with thanksgiving part. Are we able to give thanks to God when we're praying to him about circumstances that we don't like, perhaps as Daniel's learning to do, so that then our requests that are made known to God leads to this, a peace of God. A peace of God that will surpass our comprehension, our thinking, and it guards your hearts and your minds. The heart, the mind, it surpasses. God's peace can surpass all the worries and the things of the world that make us anxious. 
when we basically just lay it at his feet and learn the, the art of the prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our hearts and our minds can be guarded in Christ Jesus. He also told the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 10.5 to do what? To take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And when we do that, I think we discover that it's easier to give thanks in all things. Thereby granting us the peace of God, guarding our hearts and our minds. It will surpass your comprehension. You won't even know where it came from. It'll be a divine act of God, of mercy in our lives. Isn't that great? And then to finish up this chapter, notice again in verse 19, he says, Peace be with you. Take courage. Be courageous. Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So here's some more of this spiritual battle that's going on in the heavenlies. So do you understand why I came to you? And I think Daniel's answer would be yes. Because in chapter 11, he's going to write and delineate on the vision that God gives, has given him that he had an understanding of. And then he's going to write this down in chapter 11. We're going to start looking at that next week. He goes, okay, so that's why I've come to you, and now I'm going to return back to the spiritual battles that I'm fighting. So there's other spiritual battles that are going on in the heavenly places. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come, more of these fallen angelic beings. And they seem to be over territorial areas, and I'm not so certain about territorial spirits and all that kind of stuff. It's just too, it's kind of too sketchy of information to try to be really dogmatic on that. I don't know or claim to know, nor does the word of God ever delineate on how uh, Lucifer, the, the, the bright morning star, Satan, kind of orchestrates and manages all those fallen angels. It just doesn't give us intel on that. But we know that it's a reality and we know that it's there and we know that we have to stand firm against it. He says in 21, wrapping up 10, however, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly Seems like Paul maybe used that. There is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. So chapter 10 kind of ends in a very enigmatic way because it's in essence chapter 10 is an introduction. It's a setting up for this revelation that is given to Daniel, which he then delineates on in chapter 11. But there's a lot of principalized concepts that we can learn and as we have been walking through chapter 10 that I think are very pertinent to our walk with God, just like Daniel had a walk with God, right? Daniel was a man made of flesh, just like us. What made Daniel so special? God. But for God, Daniel would not have survived the lion's den. But for God, etc., etc., etc. God chose to use Daniel in a very unique way on planet Earth to, to, and through whom to provide revelation to God's people and to his church ultimately so that we could know more of the ways of God. Amen? And therein is our consolation. There is, a, is our strength. So if you've learned anything from Daniel in chapter 10, there's more than one, but if there's anything that you've learned from chapter 10, let it be that there are spiritual forces in, this dark, in, in, dark, in the darkness of the heavenly places that have flaming arrows, Ephesians 6, schemes of the devil, 
And if you're here this morning as a child of God, somewhere on you is a, is a bullseye. I don't know how else to articulate it. Like I said, I wish I had more revelation and we could delve into it. So church, stand firm. Be on the alert. Recognize that this is true. Each and every day, God wants to use your life in a very particular way in the fulfillment of a great commission. And the great commission is all about taking the good news of Jesus Christ to an unbelieving culture and permeating that culture with the light of Christ through the gospel. Because as I've said before, and I believe you agree, people need the Lord. Christians need to be strengthened in the Lord. Unbelievers need the Lord because a day of judgment is coming. It's been appointed unto man to die once, and then comes judgment. All people will stand before the Almighty and give an account for their life someday. It's better to bend the knee now to the Lordship of Jesus Christ than later. Amen? Let's be that source of goodness and light within this culture. Now, starting next week, we're going to delve into chapter 11. It's a very detailed very detailed chapter with a lot of detailed historic uh, prophecy in it. It's probably one of the most detailed prophetic chapters in all of the book of Daniel. You're not going to want to miss it. It, it. It's another source of progressive light, of progressive revelation, as I've made mention from two chapter 2 to chapter 7 to chapter 9. Chapter 11 continues to build on that glorious knowledge that Daniel has been receiving throughout this book. You're going to want to see that. So come back next week. Let's pray.